Welcome to the Crime Juicy Cocktail Hour. I'm Carrie Ann. I'm Becca. I'm Krista. Today, it's fitting because I think it's hot everywhere that we're at, right? Is it hot where you are? It's hot. It is hot. It is like nasty. I don't want to be outside, but if I were to be outside, I think I would like to be by a body of water. Absolutely. But not in it forever, though, right? What do you mean? Like houseboat living or like fishing? Like in a barrel in the bottom of the lake. We are going to be talking about the bodies found in Lake Mead in Las Vegas that have been discovered since Lake Mead hit a 2,000-year low due to historic droughts. Las Vegas is Lake Mead. It's created by the Hoover Dam. We recently flew over Lake Mead on our way to Oregon, and it is absolutely one quarter of the size that it usually is. It is really, really, really shallow. It's still huge, but it's really low. The reservoir supplies electricity to 350,000 homes, provides irrigation and supplies drinking water to around 25 million people. Also, it's full of bodies. This May 2022, two bodies were discovered in Lake Mead. They were shoved inside of barrels and they were badly decomposed. The Las Vegas Police Department feared that there's more where that came from. In addition to the bodies, handguns, human jawbones, Prada sunglasses, anchor blocks, baby strollers, and what was that? A World War II era boat? Yes. Um, fake human skeletons have also been found in Lake Mead, and people are just kind of going down there to fish now to see what they can find, and they're finding all kinds of stuff. And when we get a museum of, of finds, I think that might be a fun little sideshow if you're gonna send somebody to the bottom of the lake with center blocks they will put you in the blocks and put your feet in them but what they like to do is they like to tie you to a concrete anchor and then you just float right up above the bottom and you get eight fast they want you gone Mm -hmm. what is it just fish in that lake what was in there that was super there's trout there's a lake bass they're really big those bass get huge they have big boils of them when it comes up it almost looks like piranha Whoa. Yeah, and they're big. Like, you can catch a great big one easy. Sounds like Mead's a great way to get rid of a body. Or a murder weapon. Or Prada sunglasses. And at this point, the bodies, it's up to dental records. Right now, that's the forensics they're using to identify the bodies and to judge what time frame they're from. Both bodies discovered in May were reported to be from the 1980s, which was really interesting time frame. One was 1970s, they found out. The clothes that they found were from Kmart from the 70s. Gotcha. He could have had them from the 70s and wore them in the 80s. But they're arguing, they're thinking he's from the 70s because of all the shit he had on all at once was all 70s. 1970s and 1980s were a time of unraveling for mob control over Las Vegas. A lot of people were flipping, people were getting whacked. Business available to mobs were shrinking. There was a lot of conflict over that. People have seen the movie Casino and Goodfellas, those two kind of overlap. They forget it in the story, the story that was told to us, the glamorized stories. At the time that the mob was losing control over Vegas, cocaine and all of that was starting to become really big. They were overlapping their businesses. They were taking what they could from the casinos and now putting it into drugs and shit. There's a lot of overlapping, a lot of dead people in that overlapping. Yeah, and that's where 1970s, 1980s, it's pretty crazy. It was crazy. It was another Wild West again. 
Absolutely. Yet in the 80s, during this decade, the federal government and the FBI escalated a massive attack on organized crime in Las Vegas. Again, this means people were flipping, crime syndicates were fighting over vanishing options, and people were getting capped left and right. Vegas was considered an open city for over two dozen mafia families from around the country. Of these families, the Chicago outfit was the most dominant. Can Kansas City. The definition of an open city mob style, what that means? Yeah. It basically means that all of the outfits from around the country had representatives there. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't anyone's turf. It was open for everyone to come Which in. Which is very rare in any area. And so Vegas had its own biome. Quite. Everybody was making that bag. Ooh, they were making that money. Well, there was plenty to go around. Kansas City, Milwaukee, Cleveland, they were all so very influential. Gambling was legalized in Vegas in 1931. Following prohibition, mafias across the country were making the shit from bootlegging and funded the construction of the earliest resort hotels that came to characterize Las Vegas. These are run by frontmen with no glaring mob connections, but were always overseen by prominent mob figures. Mob money allowed business folks to get the capital they needed to open these hotels, casinos, and resorts. And then these front men gave the mobs the cover they needed and the venues they needed for lucrative skimming operations, money laundering, theft, loan sharking, race sticks, all kinds of operations. It was a very symbiotic relationship. It really led to a thriving city in those ways. The earliest investors in the strip hotels on the Las Vegas Strip, it was a lot of mob. Wall Street banks and the Mormon Church also financed building early casinos. If it's going to make money. We're their own mob. It's a weird <laughs> religious mob, but they'll kill you either way. It's so like Amway with killers. Yes. Yeah, they'll kill you either way. So, so sorry. Back to the non-religious mob. Except for that segue. The key players, Bugsy Siegel, huge. He financed the Flamingo, which I think was the first of the mob-funded casino resorts. It was the first all-inclusive come here, gamble, stay here, be entertained. And it was basically any money you make off the casino, you will spend at the resort. It's this kind of closed-loop system. And it's super fucking fun. He was found shot to death in June of 1947 in his girlfriend's home in California. Other key players are the Teamster Central States Pension Fund and Union President Jimmy Hoffa was huge in it. Jimmy Hoffa is actually one of the people who his death is still a mystery and he died in the 70s, I believe. So he, you know, he's a, a possibility. I think um, he's buried underneath the Sears Tower. In the basement. I think he's in the foundation. I bet he's under a casino. I think he's in Chicago. The foundation was being dug for the Sears Tower, and I think it'd be fitting. Right? Then we got Lefty Rosenthal, Anthony Spilatch, Glick, Joseph Agosto, Meyer Lansky, Nick Scarfo, Frank Collada, Fat Herbie Blitzstein, and everyone's lawyer... Oscar Goodman. The hotels and casinos they opened, Flamingo was the first, which was funded by Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy is his nickname. He fucking hated it that it was Bugsy because he had this explosive temper. But if you called him Bugsy, he'd like fucking kill you. We know him as Bugsy Siegel now, so ha. Then there was the Thunderbird, the Desert Inn, the Sands, Dunes, Riviera, Tropicana, Stardust, Caesars Palace, Circus Circus, Fremont, the Aladdin, and the New Frontier. And those are just a couple of them. And they're very fun. Isn't Circus Circus still there? Yeah, 
Circus Circus is there. Caesar's Palace is still there. The Tropicana. I think does. Yeah, there's a bunch that are still there. Obviously, they have new owners. But mosquito bites on my areas and I'm itching <laughs> my nipples. It's so bad. I did not get one or two. I got three fucking mosquito bites on my nipples. How? Were you naked? No. This is how much it's <laughs> me. That would never have happened to you in Las Vegas. I had a swimsuit top on and I was just trying to catch some rays. I'm sorry. I was trying to prevent you from watching me scratch my nipples. Okay. I know my boobs have been hurting because I'm pregnant. I've been like holding my tits at appropriate times. I'm doing, things, I'm doing more things with my, my, my left titty. Okay. Leave me alone. <laughs> you get a job. Titty, titty talk with Crime Juicy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. My titties itch. That's hot, too. <laughs> Mosquito bites plus hot plus being pregnant titty. My but titties are just hot. I would, I would be sad if I had a pregnant titty because it would hurt. Oh, uh, my gosh. I remember the pain of pregnant titty. I still uh, get pregnant titty pain because I'm a wet nurse. If I have a baby that's around me and it cries and it's under two weeks old, my titties hurt like that. Bad. Uh, Oh, no. I still lactate. I'm still lactating. And so you're a wet nurse, too. If anything happens to your milk, Becca, and it's the end times, both of your co-hosts could feed the baby. That's just, awesome. Just start, just just start, start pumping. pumping. I'll just, like, make the baby cry around you. <laughs> Titty talk with Crime Juicy. Titty talk. Murders and trouble in Las Vegas. It actually took a lot and several decades to even curb the influence and the dominance of the mob in Las Vegas. Because they had the freaking money. The anti-mob crusade started in the 1950s. In 1950, just three years after Bugsy's death, U.S. Senator Estes Kefauver, a Tennessee Democrat, started holding hearings nationwide. They went to Vegas, held a hearing, and nothing happened. More casinos opened following this hearing. The Sands, the Dunes the Riviera, Tropicana, and the Stardust. And then in the 1960s, Bobby Kennedy launched an anti-mob campaign. Following his crusade, the Teamsters Pension Fund financed Caesar's Palace in 1966 and then Circus Circus two years later. There's all this like anti-mob stuff going on and they're like, well, let's open another hotel and another hotel and another hotel. They're just, whatever, we're still mobbing it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're getting full packages, junkets to go down there that were in the union having a blast and they kind of spread the word that way by sending workers yeah. uh, to have fun and their families. And so they'd come back and all talk about Vegas and then everybody'd want, you know, in town wanted to go. It was really brilliant how they did some of their word of mouth marketing. And the locals too, the locals remember it really. My grandparents even, they were in California. They said Vegas hasn't been the same since the mob left and they're dead now, but they loved Vegas and then they didn't love Vegas because like there was a before and after and it's, yeah. And like locals, they had pie night. I think it was one Wednesday a month when the mob was there, but they'd get to come and have free whiskey and pie and watch the show's final rehearsal before the rest of the people could. So yeah, the you know, public in town and they would get to see the, the preview of the shows. There is not pie night. I don't think if there is, I, I, I am sorry. And I'm, I love, and I'm happy that that's still there. But I'm uh, pretty sure there's no pie night anymore. Not um, like it used to be. They don't get to do pie, pie night and get to see Celine Dion. Okay? They just don't get that no more. Back in the day, they did. They got to see Elvis. Yep, they got to see Elvis. They would have gotten to see Britney. 
things actually don't really start to destabilize because there wasn't anyone to replace the mob in terms of financing and running Vegas until billionaire Howard Hughes showed up and fucked everything up. Howard Hughes checks into the Desert Inn in the late 1960s and refuses to leave and refuses to leave and refuses to leave. And instead of leaving, he buys the hotel. Then he proceeds to buy more hotels and casinos, and this paved the way for the Nevada legislature to pass laws that made it easier for corporations to own casinos. This was their inroads into creating an alternative financing structure to displace the mobs. One year later, Congress passed the RICO Act, Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and this expanded the Department of Justice's power and resources to specifically go after organized crime as ongoing enterprises. From this, a Las Vegas strike force was created. This is in the 1960s, and it still took a while following the creation of the strike force. Following this, the Chicago outfit sends Anthony Spilatro to Las Vegas. Anthony Spilatro is a made man for the Chicago outfit. He is a lifelong criminal, and by lifelong criminal, I mean he started when he was a kid, and he always wanted to be a made man for the Chicago outfit, and he got to do that. He was a burglar, a murderer, and he was mostly sent in to do damage control because Lefty Rosenthal, who was running the skimming operations, was a fucking disaster. Just pretty unhinged, really outspoken. He wasn't, he wasn't being discreet. If anybody wants to know kind of who's Lefty Rosenthal, think of what is it in the movie Casino. He was a good cleaner. Let's just put it that yeah. way. I mean, uh, yeah, they were good at their jobs until they weren't good at their job. They would get to those points. Okay. So Robert De Niro was the person who was under the front man for Stardust. That's who Danny DeVito played. And he played Sam, Ace, whatever. And then... Was it was it Danny DeVito or was it Pacino? No, it was Danny... De- or Robert De Niro, actually. Sorry. Robert, Robert sorry. De Niro. And then Joe Pesci, who would be the lefty. He was unhinged. Just absolutely <laughs> insane. Just went absolutely insane. If you've ever seen the movie Casino or, like I said, Goodfellas, these are the people that were doing these things what's your favorite scene in casino when he realizes he's in love with a hooker oh and there's nothing he can do about it no matter what he does no matter what he gives her he's still gonna give it to her because he loves her unconditionally Uh oh that's just so sweet because you're both not great people but you're not bad people in tension i'm a hopeless romantic leave me alone i love a good hooker (laughs) love story what about you becca what's your favorite scene i've actually never seen it i need to so the scene that always pops into my mind when I think a casino is the cornfield. Oh, yeah, the cornfield. It ter- no, terrifies me. I thought that was in Goodfellas. Was that in Goodfellas? See, it, they both overlap sure for me. Was, I'm pretty sure that was Ray oh, Liotta okay. and, and Joe Pesci. Yeah, those two movies overlap for me, but well, that cornfield do. scene. Yeah, where the person's still not dead. Like, yeah, that, that's Goodfellas. That was a childhood movie. I think I used to binge watch that movie in the summer when I was came out in like 1995, 1996. I'm not supposed to watch that as a kid. Just think of Robert De Niro, Joe Pescio, Rhoda, those type of characters, but probably even more exaggerated because they could be in real life. Yes. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> Terrifying. People were scared of them. People, people were scared of these people. Yes. Yes. Good. Yes. But the, the quiet guys are even scarier. 
And that's why they sent in Anthony. Anthony Spilatro is there to deal with, to pretty much keep a, not keep a, do damage control for Lefty Rosenthal. You've got the Las Vegas Strike Force. And um, the Las Vegas strike force made it gain momentum. As this is gaining momentum, Atlantic City legalizes gambling in 1976. This opens up a new venue on the East Coast for people who would go to Las Vegas from the East Coast to gamble. It split the resources. The pool's getting smaller. The pool's getting smaller. Or the, the pond, I suppose. That's leading to some trouble. And then... The 1980s, things really start to unravel, which is where we're finding our bodies from. Corporations start opening up casinos, and and then things start to catch on fire. In 1980, the MDM Grand Hotel on the Strip caught fire, killing 85 people. Then within three months, in 1981, the Hilton Hotel caught on fire, killing eight people. Oops. And then in 1981, the Las Vegas strike force investigation into Spilato and the skimming operations were starting to make some headway. The FBI was wiretapping Italian restaurants. They were wiretapping casinos. They were wiretapping phone booths. And basically, they'd wiretap restaurants and then from there catch what phone booths were being used to communicate. And from there, they were getting some pretty damning intel, including who was planning to whack who within which crime outfit. That was some fodder not only to conduct sting operations, but to turn people against each other. Frank Collada was arrested in a burglary sting operation. So he's arrested. Collada had been friends and committing crimes together since literally childhood in Chicago. And Collada saw Spilantro's whole come up in the mob. He knows his entire story. They trust each other. Following Spilantro, Collada's arrest, the FBI showed Collada some wiretapped audio of Spilatro alluding to murdering Collada or having Collada murdered. Basically, something got fucked up and Spilatro blamed it on Collada and there was an allusion to, well, we have to take care of Collada. Collada's listening to this and he's like, what the fuck? This persuades him to flip and become an informant and I testify Spilatro. So Collada wasn't the only one who flipped. Actually, following the death of Lefty Rosenthal, it was it was announced that Lefty had become an informant. Whether Lefty was feeding them information or if he was just being his crazy Lefty self to the FBI was completely unclear. But he was talking to them. They've got really high profile gang and then all the way down the line. That's hard to get gangsters to flip. If they're flipping, yeah. there's crazy pressure also remember it was the 80s and there was cocaine everywhere yes yes. that's when the overlap started and the unraveling of one thing happened but they were able to take over another one Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder if you know the same way that they pivoted from bootlegging to gambling was well now that that's shrinking we need to pivot from gambling to cocaine cocaine makes everything extra It made everybody else extra. That was already extra. Right? You guys did not need cocaine on top of this. No. Here we have cocaine. Yeah. Following his death, it came out that Lefty was an informant. Arrests were being made. The wiretapping was really intense. And when faced in life with prison and the threat of being offed by the mob, even hardened gangsters were flipping like crazy and entering the witness protection program. And it's interesting because a lot of them have come out of the witness protection program and their grandkids are, hey, grandpa, you should start a YouTube channel. Gangsters from that time period that are now on YouTube talking about 
what they know because everyone who they're out of witness protection and everyone who wants them dead is dead. Um, why not? So why well, not? I listened to the church of Joey and what's that other one we listened to? Oh, Sammy the bull. Sammy the bull. Yeah. You no know, VH1 kind of went in to it a little bit with their mob wives or mob daughters or whatever. And it was, they did. I mean, it, obviously it was a reality show on VH1, which is owned by MTV. That doesn't necessarily matter, but some of these people legitimately were connected to these people in ways that people were pissed about. Some people were pissed about it. Then people, I'm going to set the record straight. No, I'm going to set the record straight. No, I'm going to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. The truth is somewhere in there, maybe, but it's all very entertaining. Mm-hmm. It is because it's interesting to think, damn. And people, people were scared of these people, but they also could trust them with any. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's such a big part of our history. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to unions, too. As much as they're for themselves, they're very much for the people, too. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what's interesting about the mob, because they are very much for themselves, but also for the people. They strike a really good balance. They definitely are very savvy. Okay, well, you need money to be a business owner. We'll help you, but you're also going to help us. And really good for workers' rights. And yeah, yeah my um, husband was a teacher. You work harder. You work harder when you have a family. They, yeah. They know it. Yeah, my husband was a teamster for a minute in New York, and he had to go. He had an incident with his boss, and the union local sent a representative, and the representative was very effective. And they know their business. They do. They do. And yeah, I see a lot of corporations as organized crime too. They're yeah, and yeah. they're just and they're not. They don't really help the people they don't give out christmas bonuses they don't bring you a bunch of on christmas and thanksgiving here's your christmas dinner don't worry about that the union bust it's so weird some days things are ran like the mob but only one side nowadays right the murdering is effective though i'm not gonna lie right the violence (laughs) i just find it interesting that the killings didn't start until the corporations got in well, they didn't, yeah, they didn't ramp up until the corporations got I in. I mean, and we had killings had before that, like, not like we saw in the 80s. Yeah, you yeah. had extremely out of line. And it would be like a meeting between all of the families. Look, Joey over here fucking did some shit that mm-hmm. none of us are okay with. Ask whoever it is, can we kill this motherfucker? And then they'd go ask the big person and then those big people would talk. And they'd be like, yeah, go kill him. And then it'd be like, okay. And then it would be a mutual agreement between everybody. But then if yeah. you ask to kill the motherfucker, but you don't kill the motherfucker, they're going to kill you. Or if you kill, no, if you kill the person before you ask, Yes, then, they'll kill you too. Yeah, or be, oh, well, maybe. I mean, you could get away with saying, oh, yeah, we changed our mind. He apologized, whatever. Mm-hmm. You had to be extremely, extremely out of line. Yes. Yeah. You had to be a walking danger. Yeah, like you, everyone, not predictable. Even if you're rude to someone's wife, they could be like, hey, I want to go bash his teeth in. You had to ask. Yeah. Yeah, you like, couldn't just bash do it. Bash yeah. you yeah, and especially if they were made, if they were made, you just get killed if you didn't ask. You had to have a legitimate reason. Some of them were probably legitimate reasons, and I bet cocaine was part of it. I'm sorry, I'm not letting that train go. No, nah, no, you was part of the, the barrels in the yeah. 80s. My mom's convinced that cocaine's the cause of everything. It shit yeah. makes everybody crazy. Yeah, people are getting arrested. They're flipping like crazy. The corporations are in converged, and you've got this Las Vegas task force. 
there's all these factors stressing the mob, the mob influence. And then in 1983, to add insult to injury, TUA cancels nonstop flights between New York and Las Vegas. You got Atlantic City, you got no nonstop flights, you got corporations taking over casinos, and you've got this freaking anti-organized crime task force on your ass. You've got people flipping, and then you got a lot of murders. Wonder who sucked whose dick to get TUA to drop that route because I know that that flight from New York to Vegas was always pretty much packed on the weekends for sure. I mean, that was not a smart. I bet I the mean, dick got sucked in Atlantic City. No, nah, we're but, much better, and we're you don't got to go as far. Your ass can drive we'll down dick here. Yeah, we'll suck right. your dick right here. We got. We got better better hookers here, too. In June of 1986, Bellatro and his younger brother missed a court date because through Collada's testimonies, they were charged with a fuck ton of crimes. They missed a court date, which was really unlike them. You know, they weren't a flight risk at this point. And then they were found dead in a cornfield in Indiana. And Indiana? This, Indiana. They were found dead in a cornfield in Indiana after How missing somebody lure into Indiana to their deaths? They're probably driving somewhere with a bunch of money. Cocaine. By Chicago. Yeah. Like I said, cocaine. I feel like cocaine fills in a lot of, you know, missing links here. But this this double murder really sealed the end of serious mob dominance of Las Vegas. It was just a really awful decade for mob influence in Las Vegas. And this really sealed it for them. A lot of freaking people died in the 70s and 80s. Again, Jimmy Hoffa vanished in 1975. His death remains a mystery. Yeah, I think he's in Chicago too. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Oh, he was all over the place. He had he had ties to a copper mine in Arizona. A lot of people don't understand. A big one. A big mine. Freaking where in the world is Jimmy Hoffa's body? Dude, and then he had, there was a town in, in Mexico that the people from, the, all the people would go from that mine to go vacation exits right on the beach. And it's like a couple hours away. Well, maybe not a couple hours, maybe like six hours, but he supposedly had a bar down there too. Mm-hmm. So he could be anywhere. Jimmy could be dead anywhere. Yes. The right person killed him. They said, we don't want him to be found. Mm-hmm. If they find him in a barrel, I am going to flip the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Because he could be. It could also be Johnny Pappas. He died then too. Pappas. Um, yeah. What? Johnny Pappas. Johnny so Pappas. Did, did you read about him? No, I just saw his name. I think I heard something. I got lost in the jumble. Yeah, of research. He's, he's he's in there big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did so, he tell us about? He's basically one of the monsters. He's the same as Jimmy, only a little bit lower on people's radar. He gave away a lot of money, though. I mean, he. they all really did help people. I don't think that they wanted to kill anybody. These people just understood, and I'm not making excuses, but when somebody has been damaged enough and are damaged goods and they got to be put down like a wild dog, you have to do it, you know? And the respect thing was very clear. Like you said, Krista, with the made men, you had to respect them, their wives. They had to be treated with the utmost whatever, just like a lord. But they also had to respect you, too. They had to be respectful, too. So Galatro dying, it was before another pivotal trial, and I think they couldn't have anything else coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can't we can't have them take, we can't have any more of these trials happen. Guys, now we were supposed to be quiet about this shit. And it must have been hard for the people that flipped because it was so 
just ingrained in them to never, ever, ever do that. And just the... Oh, I'm sure they had to be... If the ones who did flip were terrified that they were just going to die and they did, where they weren't ready. No. Some, some of them are fine. If they're not going to be still in, they'd rather be dead because that's all they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Following all of this, enter Oscar Goodman again, everyone's favorite lawyer. He becomes the mayor of Las Vegas in 1999 and he serves as mayor until 2011. And then following his multiple terms in office, his wife, Carolyn Goodman, becomes the mayor of Las Vegas in 2011. During this term, the Mob Museum was opened in 2012. This family has been like super involved in not solidifying, but keeping the history of the mob in the, you know, growth and development and just throughout Las Vegas history alive. To this day, it's interesting. He has knowledge of the fact that all of his clients were gangsters. He's such a hose. He is such a hose. He's good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he was real good at clearing conflicts. Yeah. He was. I thought that was interesting, too, how even after the fall of the the fall of the dominance of the mob in Las Vegas, it's still, you know, it's still a big part of the culture. There's still a lot of respect for it. And there's still also a lot of trust in it. The fact that Oscar Edmund and his wife can be the mayors of Las Vegas for that long of a time really shows that the constituents of Las Vegas still value that part of their history and value what the mob did for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Lake Mead is where they would throw the barrels. But what about, can you imagine how many other, all of the holes in the desert and desert's a big place. <laughs> it is fucking hard to dig a hole in the desert, though. They didn't care. Yeah, but it isn't as easy as people think. And it's always fucking hot. Well, yeah. that's why they would dig and it. Even at night. Yeah, even at night, it's hot. Yeah. It's 100 degrees after dark. Because it's so easy just to put you in a barrel, Krista, and knock yeah. you off the dock. Yeah, but there's still tons of holes in the desert. There is, but... There's, there's probably just as many holes, more holes than barrels. 